The title of this message is Building a Resilient Life or Cultivating or Growing a Resilient Life. The word resilient is defined as the ability to spring back into shape or to bounce back. Uh, it also is defined as the capacity to recover quickly from a difficulty or just toughness. And uh, throughout the Bible, one of the things that you will find out, one of the more prevalent characteristics of what we know as heroes of the faith in God's Word, uh, are, are, uh, one of the things about them was not that they were perfect, because none of them were. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? But one of the things that seems to show through for all of them, what we call heroes of the faith, were that they were, by God's grace, resilient. In other words, even when they experienced some great struggle or a tremendous setback in their life, they had a tendency to bounce back. And one of those people that we find in God's Word is the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a tough guy. You might call him a tough cookie. And uh, there's a reason for that. And I want to show you this in, in God's Word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read just, uh, I'm going to kind of skip through the whole chapter. And uh, it says here, Paul writes, and he says, Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. Would you say that with me? We never give up. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down. Anybody know what that's like? He said, we get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And then he says in verse 16, he says, this is why we never give up. Can we say it again? We never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Today I want to talk about Building, cultivating, growing in resiliency. So, Father, we thank you for your presence here today. We need your word today. I pray, God, that we will all be, we will be all ears today, so to speak. God, that we would hear your voice in these next few moments. God, please touch me by the power of your Holy Spirit. And let me be able to share what's in your heart today. In Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. 
I think you need to encourage somebody, turn to them and say, you look better now than the last time I saw you. Go ahead and tell them that. Some people need that. Amen. So as we, um, as we read in this passage, one of the things that really defined the apostle's life was not only his utter and complete dependency on the grace of God, but within that, his resiliency. He was a resilient man. He, he bounced back. He may have had the air knocked out of him, but he was able to get aired up again and to come back strong again. He faced adversity. He faced trial. He faced attack of his character. He faced persecution because of his faith. He endured shipwreck and beatings and hardship of various kinds. But by God's grace, he learned how to keep moving forward despite the troubles and the adversity that was constantly coming against him. And he stands for us, I think, as an example and a constant reminder of the old adage, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's, that's what it means to be resilient. When the going gets tough, the only thing left for us is to get tough. Can't lay down and die. Can't just give up. Give up on your life. Give up on your marriage. Give up on your children. Give up on your world. Give up on yourself. When things get really hard, we have to, in a, in a sense, and hear me by the Spirit, get hard back. Not hard-hearted, but tough in our spirit. And that's what Paul did. So res resilient people just bounce back. Now I want to show you a verse of scripture. It's found in Proverbs 24, verse 16. I gave you this a, a couple of weeks ago, but I, I want to re read it to you again for just for this purpose. Proverbs 24, 16 says, and it's just the first part I want us to focus on. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Now, when I read that scripture, I always focus on the rise again part. Anybody else like me? I want to focus on the rise again part. But you don't want to brush over the first part, the righteous fall part. <laughs> How encouraged are you right now? You know, you know who the real author of the Bible is? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's trying to let us know something. He's trying to let us know that righteous people are going to fall. You're going to fall. Sometimes we fall into sin. But sometimes we fall into the, like Jesus talked about, the parable of the man walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that he fell into the hands of evil men. He fell. James said we all stumble in many different kinds of ways. We fall. Sometimes we fall into sin. Sometimes we fall into a trial. Sometimes we fall into persecution. 
Sometimes we fall into some sort of hardship that we, we didn't know that was going to happen to us that day. Something just happens and we get the phone call to end all phone calls and we can't believe this is happening to us. And what the scripture is saying is that the righteous are going to fall. We spend our lives trying to prevent falling, but God seems to be saying to us, you need to expect it. But also what you need to expect is the rise again part. We try to avoid it. God says you need to expect it. And like walking on ice, we're trying to prevent it. But God says what I really want you to do is be resilient and just keep getting up one more time than you fell. Whatever your brokenness, whatever your struggle, whatever your perhaps sin or whatever the trial that you're going through, whatever you have fallen into, maybe even of no fault of your own, God is saying, just keep getting up one more time. And I want you to look at that word seven. The righteous fall seven times. And this isn't the lucky roll of the dice of Las Vegas. Seven is God's number. And it means perfection and completion and actually, it really represents an infinite capacity. Here's what the Lord is saying. You're going to fall a lot. Amen. I know you think you're all of that in a bag of chips, but you're not. You're going to fall a whole lot. What do you do? You just keep getting up a whole lot. Things are going to happen. And you just got to keep going. That's resiliency. And so today in this message, I want to look at the strategies of resilient people. Nothing profound here, but everything very important here. And I want to talk about this because resiliency is the result of our everyday actions. Being a resilient person isn't living life on your own terms and then having that big comeback moment, it's living it out every single day. Amen. I'm not getting ready for the big fight. I'm in the big fight. And it's how I'm living my life that determines if I'm going to be a resilient person. So number one, if you want to be a resilient person, we need to be thankful for all things. Resilient people are a thankful people. They have learned that gratitude is the great attitude. They understand that life, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things just happen. And they don't lay down and die and play the victim and get all mad and upset with God and at life because something bad happened because they know that we live in a broken and fallen world. And we are broken and we are fallen and we mess up and we, we're not perfect in every way. And so a truly resilient person has learned to cultivate a heart of gratitude and really search out and hunt out the good things and the great things of God despite the brokenness of what I'm feeling. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People say, I want to know what the will of God is for my life. Well, for starters, it's to be thankful right where you're at. Well, I want to get out of where I'm at. No, that's not the way it works. Be thankful where you're at. And not only did he say give thanks in everything. I searched it up in the Greek and the word everything means everything <laughs> have I slayed you right now here's what he also said he said give thanks and everything but Paul says in Ephesians 5 20 you're not going to like this but it's in the Bible he said they're giving thanks always for all things I told you you weren't going to like it. But that's in the Bible. You say, well, I don't like it. Argue with God. See, you, you, you and I have to see gratitude and thanksgiving is going on the hunt for the God thing in the midst of the evil thing. You know, it's like the old adage that says, Someone was saying that they, they hated the fact, I got to look up, some grumble, that roses have thorns, but we need to be grateful that thorns have roses. It's kind of all the way you look at it or the way you approach it. And let me just say this about being thankful. It all really has to do with your thinking process. Can I just say it this way? Good thinking comes from good thinking. If you allow lies and negativity to, to kind of seep into your thought life, then it's going to suck the gratitude right out of you. Oh man, I'm preaching up here now. Come on. The way we, what we allow to get in here and the thoughts and the lies and the negativity that build up in our brain if we, uh, if we think on those things and believe on those things and rehearse those things, then we're not going to have time to give God all the glory and be grateful for the things that God is doing, even when it hurts. I'm talking about resiliency today. Amen. This is why, you know, what we let in up here, what we allow in here is so important that we we, we guard against that. I love peepholes. Not peoples, peep holes. I love them. I don't love people. I love peepholes. When I go to a, whenever we uh, go to a motel, one of the first things I enjoy doing is shutting the door and looking out the people. I'm just hoping somebody knocks on my door so I can look through the people. I love peoples. Everybody should love peoples. We should all have peoples on our houses. But the reason why I love that is because you can check it out first. You can see what's knocking at your door. And you can decide this can come in or I'm going to ignore this 
What we all need is a peephole on the front door of our brain where we're paying attention. Why, this is what Paul was talking about. He said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. And when you do, the peace of God will come. And then he said, think on the pure things, the noble things, the praiseworthy things. Because if you're letting negativity in and lies into your brain, there's no wonder you've lost your joy. And there's no wonder you can't find anything good about your life. It's because we've been swinging open the door, just letting anything in. And we need to start looking through the peephole. Amen. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? Let me just say one more thing about the way we think, and this is all because good thinking comes from good thinking. Neurologists tell us that the older we get, and boy do I know this now, the more our brains become rigid. But they have discovered that gratefulness and thanksgiving is like lubricant to the brain. That it does something to the hard wiring of our mind. That when we are a grateful people, you can be 80 years old, and you may be slower in certain respects, but you can have a full and vibrant life. You can be 29 and have a dead-end life, and it all comes back to how we process things and how we think about things, consequently, how we think about things. Come on now. And so, oil the machinery every day through a heart of thanksgiving. Take time every day to thank God, to thank your wife, to thank people around you, to be grateful for this terrible place you're in. Amen. And you'll have some bounce back. Can I get a good amen? Amen. So number one, Resilient people think, are thankful for all things. Number two, resilient people are faithful in little things. They're faithful in the little things. Resilient people just keep on keeping on no matter what. They just keep going. They know, as I said earlier, they know life isn't easy, but they're willing to put in the hard work well, my life is so hard right now. I just got to, we, we're constantly bailing out of things and getting out of our commitments and, and c- kind of taking a vacation from our responsibilities because life is so hard. Well, you know what? Life is hard for everybody. You don't just jump ship because things get a little rough right now. Resilient people know that you got to keep going and you got to keep showing up. Amen. People who lack resilience are those people who give up when they see very little results or they, or they you know, they'll say things like, well, it's too hard right now or it's, I'm too tired or this isn't working or I'm too busy. These are the kinds of things that people say who are not resilient. Paul said, In 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, he said, it is required in stewards that one 
be found faithful. He says, here's how it works. You want to know what's all about my life? I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a steward of the grace of God in my life. That's what I am. And here's my role. Here's my responsibility. As a steward, I just got to keep going. I've been in shipwreck. I've been beaten. I've been, I've been forsaken. But I just got to keep going because God has called me to this. Faithful people know who the boss is, and it ain't them. Amen. And they know that the boss is watching. Amen. But you know what happens to us? We put more emphasis on big accomplishments than on the importance of those daily little chores that matter the most. We want a brilliant life. We want a dynamic experience. We want something that, and when we don't get that, we, we just kind of just fade into obscurity and not really showing up and doing what God has called us to do because we tend to think that making a difference is being dynamic, but really making a difference is when we go the distance just being faithful every day. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that one again. You need to hear this. Amen. We think that being a dynamic person is what makes the difference, doing something big and great. When greatness comes from just doing the little faithful things every day. Jesus said in Luke 16, he said, if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful over larger stuff. You'll experience the large eventually, but where it all starts is just being there and just showing up. People like Moses and Joseph and David were faithful in the little things before they ever became great. Think of Moses. You know where Moses became great? Out in the backside of the wilderness, shepherding sheep for 40 years. It wasn't being found in the bulrush and then raised in Pharaoh's house. That's not where his greatness came from. In fact, he fouled that up completely. God led him out into the backside of the wilderness where he could retrain him and break him down so that he can make him what God wanted him to be. And he was out there in obscurity. Nobody knew who he was. It says that Pharaoh and Egypt forgot about him. How would you like to feel forgotten about? Well, we all do. Amen. I already know. You've been forgotten about. But you know what? God is doing something. It's in, those, in that daily experience of just doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's where your resiliency is. That's where your bounce back is. Oh, I'm waiting for a miracle. I got to get, get a prophetic word from somebody to get me out of this hole. No, what you need to do is show up and do your job. And I'm not just talking about your employment, but I'm including that. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your finances. I'm talking about everything concerning your life is just being who God called you to be and doing what God has you doing. 
The way to greater fruitfulness is in everyday faithfulness. That's where it's at. And resilient people understand that. People who come back from difficulty understand that. Hallelujah. So, to be resilient, we need to be thankful for all things. We need to be faithful in little things. And number three, we need to be humble through the hard things. I like that old song, you know, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. You know, the, you know those words? Truly resilient people are humble people. It is hard to be humble when you know you are right. It's hard. It's hard to be humble when you know that that person did wrong. Or this situation is just wrong. It's hard to take the low road in hard places, in difficult places, because we want to justify ourselves. We don't want to feel like a doormat for anybody. But I want to tell you something. Sometimes people are just going to walk on you. And sometimes it's going to feel like problems are just treading on you. And you have no control over it. And you can't change it. What do we do when it's hard like that? Humble yourself. Come on now. Come on. Because hard times are when we can fall into the trap of pride. And what happens when we fall into pride is that we fall because of pride. Right before the fall, Solomon said, there was pride. Amen. And so Paul taught us about Jesus. And he said, in Philippians chapter 2, he said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look at those words. Let each of us esteem the other person better than me. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and he says a lot of things, but I... I want to show you verse 8. This is the mind. This is the attitude of Jesus. He said, Who being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Imagine that. The king of glory, the ancient of days, the God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name. Hallelujah. So what Paul is saying is, here's the way to get through. Here's the way to keep going. Humble yourself. You take the low road, and God will make sure that you get on the high road. And you'll get through this problem. And you'll get through this terrible situation. 
But you're not going to bounce back so long as you kind of try to fix it yourself and do it your own way. You're, you're, going to, you're, you're only going to hurt yourself in the long run unless you humble yourself. And the Lord told me a few years back, you either be humble or you're going to get humbled. And those were his exact words to me. And uh, I came around to it. It wasn't easy because there were certain things that I knew I was right about. I'm not always right. That other 2% is... Yeah, I'm pretty close. Here's what you need to remember about pride. Pride is deceptive. Everybody say deceptive. Pride is deceptive. Pride is constantly telling you that you're better than you actually are. And that you can do this. You, you need to take the bull by the horns and do it your way. That's pride. Pride is lying to you. Saying to you, you're better than you actually are. And uh, when we get into pride, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad place to be. And so... Uh, pride is not only deceptive, but pride is also destructive. Because what pride does is ultimately, in our pride, we dismiss our desire to honor God. And put God as Lord over our lives. When we get into pride, this is really important. When we get into pride, how can I say this? It's not that God is against you, but he will resist you. Amen. He'll push back. In fact, the scriptures, I think, are pretty clear. Um, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Notice what it says there. God, what does God do? He resists the proud. The word resist is, means literally to, to stand opposed to. Now, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, if God be for me, who can be against me? Now, God is for you, but because he's for you, he will resist you. When you get into pride. Is this doing anything for anybody? I know, I know none of you are prideful. But many years ago, and a lot of you know the, the back story, but I fell into a situation of my own doing. And had to be humbled had to be sat down so that God could heal and do a deeper work in my heart so that I could bounce back, you know, so to speak, into God's plan and purpose for my life. But while I was in that time of restoration and 
God dealing with me. I remember one day I was, and some of you know this story, but I'll just go ahead for those who haven't heard it. I was driving down the road because I had to go to work outside of the church at that time. And I was full of anger in my heart because of things that were being said about the situation of which I was a part and what I brought on not only myself, but of my family and on this church. But things were being said and I was getting word of things that were being said that weren't right. They weren't accurate. And I was right about this. I was wrong about things, but I was right about this. And I, I don't know if you've ever been driving down the road and you've been gripping the steering wheel and next thing you know, you're gripping it, like squeezing it, like strangling it. And what you're really doing is strangling that person that's not in the car. <laughs> and I'm right, and I'm right. And I tell you the truth, as God is my witness, I was driving down the road, I was going up, matter of fact, I was going up the pass over here, going over to Whitehall. And I felt, I felt the Lord come and sit down in the seat beside me, in my little Honda. I felt Jesus, I know Jesus is in my heart, but I felt the presence of Jesus show up in that car that day. And I was sitting there, and nobody's in the car, but I'm, I'm giving them what for, verbally, out loud. And I, I saw, as clear as day in my heart, Jesus reach over and put his hand on my chest. And he said, you have got nothing to say. There's nothing for you to say. I am for you. While he's pushing on my chest. While he was resisting my pride, he was saying, I'm for you. Now, I know what he was saying. He wasn't saying, I'm for you and against them. I know, because Jesus is for everybody. Come on, can I get a good amen? Even your worst enemy, he's for them. But he was basically saying to me, Tim, you let me deal with this. You just go low. Go low. The only way that we're going to ever bounce back is not by fighting our way back. Fighting people, fighting the system, fighting the man, fighting the individual, fighting and fussing. That's not how you get your bounce back. That's not how you, that's not how you come back and, and are resilient. It's by humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and letting him bring you and put you right where he wants you. So resilient people, resilient people are thankful for all things, faithful in the little things, humble through the hard things, and then finally, they are hopeful when they can't see a thing. That they're hopeful. Resilient people have got to learn to develop the capacity to hope against hope. You know? Like when there's no hope, you don't lose hope. You guys awake out there? Am I, am I saying anything up here? Resilient people are hopeful even though I can't see at all what I'm hoping for. But people who are not resilient have given up all hope. I was watching the show Monk 
the other day. And Monk said, his partner said, don't give up hope. It'll get better. And he said, there's no hope. And Julie looked over at me and said, that is you. That's exactly what she said. With a wife like that. No. People who are not resilient have given up all hope. And I guess basically, essentially what hopelessness is, is just basically, I guess we're just kind of waiting to die. We're going to live. Maybe we don't want to die, but we're just waiting because we don't have any hope. Now, I want to take you back to what Paul wrote, and we've already, we started with this, but I want, to, I want to continue on with it, where he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them. And will last forever. Now watch what he says here. He says, so we don't look. We're not looking at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. And then he goes on and he says in Hebrews 11 and 1, look at these words. He says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. People who bounce back, people who are resilient, even though they can't see it, now they're not, it's not in their hands. It's not presently in their life. They still see it. Amen. What have you given all, up all hope about in your life? I'm here to tell you that I believe that this is not an accident that we're here today because God wants us to be resilient people. He knows we're not going to be perfect. He's already told us righteous people fall. Prepare for it so you can get up again. How do I do that? Change your attitude. Start there. Show up. Don't give up. Show up. Get low. And see with the eyes of faith. Amen. We can either look at life through a microscope or we can look at life through a telescope. Now, if you're like me, you spend far too much time at the microscope peering in, examining, and then expecting the smallest, minutest minutia, the detail of everything that went wrong. Why does this happen? What's going on? And I'm just microscoping. It's all introspection. Now, I, there's, a, there's a good thing about letting God search the depths of your heart. But if I get stuck on introspection, I'm going to lose my vision of what should be. 
Because I'm constantly evaluating and looking into me and all the garbage and the junk and why I tick and how I, what makes me like this. And hey, listen, it's good to evaluate, it's good to examine to a point, but let the Holy Spirit take over. Don't let you be the scientist. You'll be a mad scientist. Amen. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Instead of looking at your life or what's going on in your life through a microscope, have a telescope. Telescopes are for long-range viewing, for seeing what's off in the distance. That's what hope does. Hope looks out. Hope is constantly looking out. And can I just say a good, up, a good outlook comes from a good uplook. You know, if you guys, and if we would just look up, look up to the Lord. Look up to the will of God. Look up. We're going to be able to look out better. But if I'm constantly doing this, we don't want to do that. We want to do this. Right? Come on. Can I get a good amen out there? Amen. I want to encourage you and, and to have hope again. I want to tell you a story. Well, let me, let me first read this verse of Scripture. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, this is the Lord giving a promise to Israel he says, I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. The valley of Achor as a door of hope. Achor means trouble. That's what Achor means. So God says, in the valley of trouble, I'm going to put a door of hope. I love that scripture. I love how God doesn't always take us around the trouble or try to give us good ways of avoiding the trouble. He says, no, no, you're going to go through trouble, but I'm good at building doorways of hope. Amen. Are you with me? Now, now hang with me here just for a moment. I want to tell you a story. It's found in the scriptures, and it's a, it's a warm and a, a precious story. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. The prophet Elisha would travel, and he would go through, uh, I think, a city or a region called Shunem. And there was the, the Bible talks about a Shunammite, is that right? Shunammite? Shunammite woman who lived there and her husband. And they loved this prophet so much that they built an extra room onto their house so that when he was passing through, he had a place to stay. And after doing that for a while, the prophet said to his servant, Gehazi, he said, you know, this, this husband and wife have been so good to us. I just want to do something for them. Go and ask them, is there anything that I can do for them? And, uh, and so the, the, the servant went to her and said, you know, my, my master would like to do something for you. Is there anything? And she said, you know what? We're taken care of. Everything's good here. You don't have to worry about us. We're blessed. And so the, the man went back to Elisha and told him that. And Elisha's like, I don't know. I feel like we need to do something. And, he, and so Gehazi, the servant, said, well, I can tell you this, that <laughs> this is the way the scriptures tell it, that she's never had children and her husband is old. I love that. Just focus on the old man. <laughs> she's never had children. And her husband's old. I mean, this isn't going to happen. 
And so the prophet said, go and bring her to me. Listen to this. The scriptures say this. She came and stood in the doorway of the prophet's room. And he said to her, by this time next year, you'll be holding a baby in your arms. And she responded in so many, this is my translation, do not toy with my emotions. Do not tease me. And it says, a year later, she had a baby. A dream, a promise, a hope that to her was all but forgotten. God made into reality. I just want to encourage us here today. There are things that haven't happened. But don't give up hope. Step up to the doorway. Step up to the doorway. Say, okay, God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Julie, would you come? Could you stand with me right now? I think we live in times right now. We live in a world right now that is, it's crazy. It's confusing. There are just things going on right now that, that we're facing and coming up against, not to mention our own personal struggles. And in this season, especially as we move into a Christmas season, which can be joyful and fun, but can also be stressful and very, very difficult. And it can zap the life right out of us. I believe the Lord is wanting to just prepare us to be a resilient people. To keep going when the going is tough. Because by God's grace, you're tough too. And you can get through this.